Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, my name is Jeremy Lightning, and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Mike and Ikes. That is gross candy. Uh, it's it just pure sugar, no taste that's good at all. <laughs> Did you like Mike and Ikes? It's better than no candy, but it's still on the kind of on the gross side. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have to agree. <laughs> it's true. Uh, our guest today is Ron Bailey. Uh, welcome, Ron. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So Ron is a longtime member of Epiphany and now Water of Life, as, along with his uh, wife and children. And why don't you tell us about your job as a layperson? Okay. Great. Well, thanks again for having me. Good to be here. Um, so I've been pulling double duty for many years, um, but during the day, I am a proud employee of Johnson Outdoors. I've been there for uh, going on 19 years, uh, so a Racine-based company, and um, outdoor recreation is what we do. So, um, so Jeremy, do you need any outdoor recreation equipment that Ron can sell you? Do you have anything that would be good for making a beer garden? A beer garden. Well, we do offer a fine line of camping equipment, which might be repurposed into something along those lines. I'm not sure if if it would exactly apply, but because <laughs> I've talked to Ron about different things with kayaks mm-hmm. and so forth, or carrying kayaks on the top so, of our vehicle, so like uh, gas powered stoves. Um, sure, yeah, Jetboil, the Jetboil brand in our camping division. Yeah, that's... that that could get uh, like let's say five gallons of fluid up to a boil. Five gallons might be a bit much for uh, <laughs> for a backpack type of camping adventure, but um, uh, but yeah, it, it's been a treat to work for them for as long as we have, and um, you know that's kind of my. Uh, you know, they're affiliated with the SCJ company, and um, been very proud to work with them. And to me, it's not my. My my career passion, um, but just a, a wonderful fallback as far as like a safety net, um, you know, obviously the income, but also, um, you know, retirement and savings and things like that. That's just been my um, my job, my day to day, my nine to five. So. so then what is your passion? What is your career? As passionate as I am about Johnson Outdoors, my career and my um, and my you know, my motivation and, and what I consider my career is um, the business that my wife and I have run for um, going on, wow, it's almost 28 years now, Silver Spoon Entertainment. So it's our DJ company, our live event uh, production company. So, Jeremy, do you know, do you remember Silver Spoon Entertainment or Silver Spoon, the TV show from, from the 80s? I was a small child in the 80s, so no. Ricky Stratton, the spoiled rich kid. Yeah. got a Sorry. great theme song that yeah. <laughs> tv show's got a great theme song you, you know pastor you mentioned that and a lot of people have thought that that was kind of the inspiration for the name of the business um and i've been ever since i was a little kid my nickname has been spoon um and people have asked from time to time like why is that your nickname well bringing a little secret um i always used to dance around the kitchen um and sing into a wooden spoon or a silver spoon those oversized uh serving spoons as my microphone um, and silver spoon sounds better than wooden spoon definitely because yeah. <laughs> wooden spoon carries a different connotation it does and believe me growing up in the 80s the wooden spoon was 
was employed. Uh, <laughs> now that was something I can remember. <laughs> sure. Yes, we remember. We all remember that well. But um, but you know, you know, when it came time to kind of take the show on the road and and start the business and um, try to you know tie in a nickname with something that sounded like a premium service i thought that that would be a good good combination so you know i've always loved music and performing um nickname was spoon and and we're off to the races from there so what kind of events do you do with silver spoon entertainment djing for those kind of events and after like i said over 25 years really it's been um I don't know what we haven't done. Um, so <laughs> uh, our our primary focus right now uh, these days is wedding receptions, but we do school dances, um, store openings. Um, Have you ever done a Shoreland dance? We've done Shoreland dances many times um, in the late 90s, and then most recently we've done the proms in the last 10 years or so. Um, and corporate events we were just out in lake geneva um, last weekend for a big corporate event um holiday parties things like that what's the big one that usually goes around the case track the relay for life and what is that so the relay for life is a um a benefit for the american cancer society we've been doing that for over 20 years um, and so community events is, thank you, Pastor, for asking that. So community events, any type of, um, we've done things for the Oasis Youth Center, um, previously, uh, Mount Zion in Kenosha, and now they're, they're trying to restart that. So, um, pretty much anywhere that there's a special event or something to be celebrated or something that we can be there to help with, um, that's where, that's where we go. Well, with that, you know, you talked about different kinds of events, and so I was going to ask Jeremy, you know, what would you rather do? This is kind of a discussion point that pastors have a lot of times of, would you rather do weddings or funerals? I'm going to guess you don't DJ a lot of funerals, though. Um, Thankfully, no. Yes. I I did hear, uh, I went to a wedding once that I performed in, uh, I went to a wedding I performed, isn't that a good thing to do, Uh, in uh, Kansas, and... The, the DJ at the reception said that he said, he said, okay, I don't, I don't DJ a lot of funerals, so let's get everybody out on the dance floor. It was something like that. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and and there was a, a smart aleck at our church who who said, well, I think I'm just going to get him to do my funeral just so that he he can say that he does do funerals. <laughs> Well, it's good to be well-rounded, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I could have used you for one of my funerals when I met with the. The five children, grown children, uh, after their mom died, they asked me, Pastor, can we have uh, the song YMCA played during mom's funeral? Hmm. And I said, no. (laughs) I said, you can do that uh, afterwards at the meal. Sure. And that was, that's what they did. I got to the reception later, and as I'm walking in, uh, I've seen people around the restaurant wearing yellow plastic hard hard hats and doing the motions for y, YMCA, which is a much better location than inside of our sanctuary. Right, right. So I, I just have to ask then with your line of work, a, a lot of times there are situations where pastors have to deal with somebody who's, you know, say disgruntled or unhappy about uh, closed communion or there's that the pastor won't let them sing YMCA in the funeral. 
uh, and and the, you have to know how to kind of diffuse a situation. Do you have experiences like that? We do, and and that's a really good question. And it, you know, it's not just about playing the right song at the right time with what I do, but it's almost you know, I, I saw some meme or or something where um, you're a cheerleader, you're a coach, you're a referee. Um, you know, you try to um, to please all people, and it, I think for me. Uh, it's situational awareness, right? So you're looking at what's happening around you, um, seeing somebody who might be getting a little feisty or may have a good reason or maybe a not so good reason to have an issue um, and helping to kind of put out those fires or maybe find somebody who can help you um, smooth things over is is important. If I was just there pushing buttons um, not only would I be bored, but I don't think that I would be doing my job very well. Um, so there is more to it than just, you know, the, the cliche of, you know, playing the chicken dance or playing the polka at the right time. Um, there is a lot of, of event management and, and doing things behind the scenes to kind of help things run smoothly. Um, specifically off the top of my head, can I think of a, a funny story about that? Maybe not, but but yes is the answer for sure because it, it just it, it, it happens all the time. Um, thankfully, if you are doing it well, um, you help to kind of smooth those things over before they become escalated or or you know it gets too out of hand. So. so is it kind of like the scene from the weddings? Have you seen Adam Sandler, the wedding singer? Yes, where you've got the the one brother of the groom that had way too much to drink and he's revealing all these secrets about the groom in his speech and just embarrassing everybody. And then the wedding singer comes on and uh, smooths it all over. And everybody's like, Oh, that's a really good wedding singer. I have been called Robbie Hart, uh, Adam Sandler's character in that movie (laughs) many times. And I will take that with a compliment. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what you have to do. And just approach it with, um, you know, shrug your shoulders and just put the best spin on it and, uh, and go from there. So, but that's a, that's a perfect example actually Mm. of, of what we try to do. So, you know, entertaining people, making sure that people are having a good time. That's part of it. Um, but just kind of being the glue to hold everything together and make sure that everything runs smoothly. Um, we take a lot of pride in that as well. So, yeah, with the, the question I asked Jeremy before about, you know, weddings and funerals, you know, you'll, you'll have certain, songs or hymns that family members want played at either one but usually it's the uh the pop songs more uh, more often in the wedding Mm -hmm. and then but i you know i've had members even ask me well can i have this song this is the first song that we danced to or this is the song that we fell in love to or whatever it was and and that's where i just bring in you as the dj and say, you know what that be the really best song for you to sing or to to have dance you dance to or whatever at the wedding and they go oh yeah that's a really good idea you know just just those kinds of things to be able to use that instead of you know trying to remind them you know those that song's important but it's not as important as the songs that we're going to sing or have sung by others at the wedding which is about Jesus later on that's about you for sure, and um, and that's something that if you if we take the the church service part out of it, but to complement what you just mentioned, um, I often mention to my clients, it's not about 
what do you play, but it's about when you play it. Mm. And that's that's a, a perfect complement to what you just said, that um, time and a place. And um, let's focus on, on this at this point, and then on, you know, we'll make it happen for you. Um, but then, you know, there's a certain time for that. Uh, and that's part of what we do as well, is to help them kind of facilitate the entire day, the flow of the day. Um, so. so with that, because you were the DJ for my oldest daughter, Abby's wedding, and you know, I, I still remember at the end, you know, as people have kind of filtered away and there's just a, you know, the, the few that are left because they're the ones that are going to clean up and so forth. And then you have, do you do this at all the weddings where you have like one song where they're all kind of getting together and singing in a circle because we sang uh, Billy Joel's, was it the, the Piano Man, piano I think, man. yeah. And that's so important. And thank you for asking that. Yes, because we want to help people have those memory making moments. Um, and we want fellowship and togetherness with everybody uh, who hopefully we incentivize them to stay. Um, what I say to clients who we've met with just for the first time who are considering us, I always say that, you know, what we want and our goal is, is we can provide you with the best service, the best planning, the best preparation from from our first meeting up until your wedding day. Uh, but when the wedding day comes, what we want is your guests who were thinking that they might scooch out after dinner or maybe leave it at nine o'clock or so. We want them to, um, you know, wake up the next morning sore and tired and they can't believe how late they stayed. Um, we weren't planning on staying that late, but we had such a good time. But the reason that they had a good time was moments like that. And I've got a, a picture of, of you and, um, you know, your, your daughters and, and my daughter and, um, and the whole family just having a great time and, and singing out a, a song. It's not because I put on a good performance, but it's because we were all together in that moment. Um, and that's really special to me. And I, I, we know that when, clients consider us that it's not just a financial investment, but it's an emotional investment too. They're putting their faith and their trust in us to help them make those memories. So um, after an amazing church service um, and, and focusing on the reason that they came together um, and that excitement for taking pictures afterwards, once we get to the celebration part, um, we just want to show everybody just the best night of their lives and, um, and have a great time and, and walk away with those memories and, you know, you ask that question because you have that memory, and and hopefully we can help create that for for everybody that for we the, work for with. For the other three girls, <laughs> yes, of course. Well, I'm not going anywhere, so <laughs> there you go. I'll be here. I'll be here. Yeah. So, have you ever um, had any experiences? Like, I'm sorry, all of my questions are related to movies that I've seen. So, <laughs> I love the, it. The like uh, my big fat Greek wedding. Um, have you ever had experiences where there's uh, some kind of uh, crazy? tradition or uh think custom that people do like you know smashing the plates or uh any anything like that we do and and i always um tell folks that we work with that i would be very bored after all of these years if i just did the same thing or the same routine or the same you know shtick um or the same playlist every weekend i challenge um our clients to be whether they're um you know um, wedding clients or or corporate clients, be as creative as as you want. Um, I love that challenge. Um, so yes, so if we are um, you know breaking plates or um, um, hoisting the bride and groom up on chairs or or things like that, um, and or even if it's not like a, a cultural tradition, uh, maybe just um, 
a group of friends, you know, maybe your softball team had a, a particular thing that they would do after a victory or, or things like that, or, um, you know, your high school sports team, um, things like that. We, again, those memory making moments, like I said, um, those are important. Those things are important to those people. Um, and that's what we want to be there. Not just to be a generic, oh, well, he played good music. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, do we remember that day because we had this special thing that was just for us. Um, we love that. And that's, I mean, we pride ourselves on on doing that. So that's a great question. But yes, it's, um, for me, that's that's fun. Because then you can get creative with your presentation and your production. What, so. are, what are some of the, or do you have any that are, out of the ordinary that you can recall you know like i said hoisting the um hoisting the the bride and groom up on chairs or if they've got a special family dance or um things like that specifically off the top of my head um have you had any flash dances where all of a sudden like the wedding party just oh, yeah, breaks out into dance for sure surprising mm-hmm. the couple where um the couple has no idea but the wedding party has put together a special dance where the the couple is is dancing and it's a very special moment um you know and halfway through the song you hear that you know, we've all seen those youtube videos where you hear like that record scratch mm-hmm. um and then it morphs into another song and then the entire wedding party comes out and the families and moms and dads come out and get on the dance floor and surprise the couple with a fun dance or something like that um those are they don't happen every time, but when they do, um, it's pretty special. And you know that, I mean, the, everybody who was there will never forget that. So. That's one of the things I, I'm, I'm expecting, like, Jeremy to break out in a later hosen when, uh, and, and do a good German dance for his boys' weddings. I would be disappointed if he didn't. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's now recorded. I think he has to do it. It's are live you, to tape, so now it's, now it's for sure. Do you know how much later hosen costs? Don't are you, you going to pay for this? Don't you have later hosen? I don't. My oh. my son does. Yes, we have little kids later hosen. Oh, okay, it is leather <laughs> pants, like full leather. Can you imagine? Yeah. Do you know how much that costs? I do not know. It's 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 pricey. I can't imagine though. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Is it as pricey as a camel hair suit coat? Because I I did price that one for you. You did. Yes. So I could be John the Baptist. Yes. Okay. Well, as long as we're bringing the attention to me, um, I have a couple of things for each of you today. It's uh little tidbits uh, from your children. And uh, so I'm going to start with uh, Belle Zarling, who's a student of mine now. I have her this semester in religion class. And I had a new uh, custom for Thursday mornings I wanted to try out, Limerick Thursdays. So uh, I I sort of coached them through writing a limerick, and I I wanted to uh, read to you what she came up with for her limerick. This is Belle Zarling. Every time I reach a goal, I tend to run for Abba in a stole. <laughs> Every time we get to talk, and as we talk, we like to walk. For being a dad, he's on a roll. Wow. Not bad. And, That's and pretty good. I, I was reminded of, well, I vaguely remember questioning whether or not your girls actually call you Abba, and... I'd like it if you would call off your dogs now, please, because I had Lydia last Sunday uh, and your wife, and now uh, Belle is incorporating ABBA into her uh, limerick here. So I get it. Okay. I get it. You, They call you ABBA. There, I believe you. But there's still two other daughters that can I talk to you. you. Okay. 
Now, the other one was um, I, I was doing the morning greeting today with um, Kathy Wyland, who's our foods teacher at Shoreland, and she was telling me about how uh, Josh was, uh, well, uh, Jody Denzen was there too, uh, and uh, she's one of Josh's tutors, and she was saying that when he first found out about needing to take foods class, that he was not too thrilled about that. But how, on a side note, can you ever tell if Josh is not happy with something? There, there are signs. Okay. There, <laughs> there are flags. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, it's so, so she, but then, uh, what, uh, Kathy Weiland told us was that, um, he did very well on making an omelet. He said, uh, she said that, uh, he, he made a really nice omelet. And that, <laughs> that's very sweet to hear. He was nervous about that. And I, th- I heard something about it being a family tradition. I would hope so, but he actually shamed me because I thought that I had the good omelet tradition, but he he nailed it. Um, we did a little uh, online tutorial um, and, and a little bit of practicing, and he nailed it for his class, which, um, which was super exciting to see. It's fun to watch him um, do well, and it's... He he can be, um, I don't want to say easily frustrated, but um, that comfort zone thing is always going to be a challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for a lot of people. Um, but just to see that um, that success, uh, he did he did really well, and he was super proud of it, and we were proud of it too. Sometimes an omelet is more than an omelet. Put it that way. So yeah. All right. Should we get into the gospel lesson, Jeremy? Sure. Well, I thought I had it all. So it's fired up. It's in my it's in my email here. Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. It's just uh, well, and I kind of need I kind of need the email because it gives me a heads up of whatever okay. questions uh, Mike and Ike's are going to ask. <laughs> Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its flavor, how will it become salty again?" Then it is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in people's presence so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest letter or even part of a letter will in any way pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled. So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So for context, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that last week, our gospel lesson was the Beatitudes, Jesus' statements of blessing. And now Jesus says, uh, you are salt. Uh, so Jeremy, what does it mean to be salt? You could think about many things. Uh, first of all, it was a seasoning, and it made you taste just a little bit of different difference in food that was 
very bland. Still today it does, but especially back in ancient times, uh, it was maybe much more of a rare thing to have flavorful food than we we have today. We today we everything's got flavor in it, um, but back then the food was more like fuel, and uh, it was kind of a, a luxury or a treat to have flavoring. So uh, salt was what made food stand out, and uh, this is what uh, Christians are for the world, that we are to be the ones that uh, add a little zest, add a little bit of something special to it. Uh, But then the big thing would be the preserving, uh, that salt was used to uh, keep food from rotting or slow down the rotting process. Um, And uh, that's that's kind of what we're doing. God has no reason to keep the world going except that he wants to call more believers in, into faith. And so once the last believer has been called into faith, that's when Judgment Day is going to happen. Right. Yeah, and I think that's, you can look at it in today's context. Like you said, we're supposed to add a little flavor, but it's more that second part that you said of uh, keeping things from rotting, that they didn't have refrigeration. So in order to keep their meat preserved, uh, they could smoke it, uh, but, but then they would also just add the salt to it. And then we are supposed to preserve our culture, a Christian culture, and a culture that seems very, uh, very rotten and evil. So then, Ron, Jesus says, you are light, so be it. What does it mean to be light? Well, I think to be the light is to help illuminate the truth and not hide um, the good news that we've been given, um, but to let it shine for all of the world to see. I think what's very empowering to me is that we're told not that we are the light of the church or the light of our synod, but the light of the world, right? So you don't have to be a called worker or a missionary to take the light out into a dark world um, and to lead and to shine um, by example. So your day-to-day life can be a testament um, to God's love and, and work to glorify him. So I'll ask you guys both this. Maybe Jeremy can answer first is... Jesus says then that, you know, we could lose our saltiness. There's a temptation to hide our light underneath a bowl. Uh, Or, you know, we might remember from the King James, you know, hide it under a bushel and so forth. So how might we be tempted to do those kinds of things as Christians? Where Jesus says, be salt, be light. And then how can we do the, often be tempted to do the opposite? One thing that I think of is something that uh, one of my college professors, we interviewed uh, Professor Paustian, uh, that he would talk about was speaking openly and honestly about Jesus. And, it, and what he meant, what, I, I might even not be quoting that exactly right, but what he, was, what he was talking about was in casual conversation, a lot of times, and I've even heard comedy bits where comedians will talk about, uh, like, you know, at least Christians in name, We'll talk about how uh, you bring up Jesus, and it's kind of like the the mood of the room just goes uh, not not sour, but um, quiet. Everything everything suddenly gets quiet and, and uncomfortable. And uh, I think what my professor was trying to say is, why not, especially among each other, when we both know that we're believers, why not be a little more conversational about just saying, you know. Uh, this is what the Lord gave me today. Or uh, uh, do you remember that that time when Jesus went through something similar to this? Uh, just speaking 
speaking openly and honestly about Christ. I saw something today, I think, which which kind of reflects that, and and I'm paraphrasing as well, but um, speak about God and and give Him praise on Sunday, and and everything's just fine. You talk about it on a Tuesday morning, and all of a sudden the room goes quiet. Um, that's you know, it's it's combating that awkwardness, I think, or just um, you know any kind of fear about um, you know like you said, normalizing, normalizing that and, and making it more of a, a, a daily conversation with fellow believers and, and feeling okay without, you know, pushing something too hard or in, in a, in a, in an offensive way um, to a coworker or somebody who, um, you know, it's letting your light shine and, and being that salt without um, pushing somebody away, but, but making that normal. I think that's important. That, that takes a real art. That takes a real finesse. Like like the DJing, it's like, how can I not be pushy about this, but still I do need to take it in a certain direction. And that that's a great point, and and I I think that's a skill that it's not. There is a finesse, and um, I think it takes practice. I think it takes repetition and and kind of putting yourself out there and maybe falling on your face a few times and and being okay to stumble, um, being okay with the fact that you may not get it right every time, um, but the more you do it, the hopefully the more successful it is. We talked in our this morning's Bible study. We were watching season two, episode five of the Chosen, and which was a conversation that's not in scripture, but it's in the movie of. Uh, John the Baptist and his cousin Jesus. And as we talked about that conversation in the Bible study afterwards, of uh, what, I asked everyone there, well, what do you think of that? Because John is more high-strung. He's, he's on his way to go and talk to Herod Antipas about uh, divorcing his wife and marrying his, uh, what would be his sister-in-law, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is much calmer and so forth. And we talked about how, you know, there are times when you have to be a John the Baptist, that you have to be bold, even going up to someone who is a leader, uh, a government leader, pastor, whomever, and be bold. And then there's other times the way Jesus is portrayed there that's, you know, calm, uh, contemplative, and so forth. But the key is that we're... uh, my point here with asking you guys this question is that a lot of times we can be tempted just to be quiet, not be either one, John or Jesus, mind or business, keep to ourselves, and they'd rather pour out sugar from our shaker instead of salt. Uh, we'd rather hide our light under a bowl than let it shine. Uh, Jeremy, according to Jesus, why did he say he came into the world? So I'm going to answer this question along with your next one uh it, the sh- the short answer is he came into the world to fulfill the law and the prophets not to set them aside um and uh what what exactly does that mean to fulfill the law and the prophets um it it definitely includes the idea of he's the, going to be the one who uh keeps all the laws perfectly because none of us could do that um and that's that's really the main reason that he came was to accomplish all the the rules that we couldn't keep uh be the perfect jew <laughs> that's 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 a tough thing for even for jews to do um but he did that and that was fulfilling the law and uh 
then uh, the, the other the other thought behind it though is also when you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he was also teaching the law, and that's that's kind of the idea of fulfilling is of uh, giving the bigger picture of what this commandment is saying. So uh, when God said uh, love your neighbor, he wasn't just saying love the people that are close to you and you can hate everybody else. Jesus goes on to explain that. Uh, love your neighbor uh, does not mean that you get to hate your enemy. You're supposed to love your enemy too. So that's also part of this idea of fulfilled, that um, he's he's a teacher, he's an explainer of uh, everything that God's law means. One of the things I was thinking with this too was, you know, fulfilling the law and the prophets is a math equation. You know, I am not a math person at all. Uh, and last night, uh, I walked into the bedroom and Belle is there with Shelly and it's 9.30 at night and they're trying to help, and Shelly's trying to help Belle with her math. Uh, it was on uh, imagine, imaginary numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have enough problems with real numbers, let alone <laughs> making some numbers up. But that was their math thing. And what, what class is this? I had some math class at Shoreland. But Do you know had, who the teacher was? No. I, I don't want to throw him or her under the bus. But yeah, it's imaginary numbers. Shelly said, I never, she's really good at math. She says, I've never done anything with imaginary numbers. But anyhow, the math equation is, you know, we're very good at when we ask people or we're asked, what did Jesus do to save you? To say, well, he died on the cross to take away my sins, the subtraction. And I think we often forget the addition that he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He fulfilled all righteousness, and then he gave that to us. Because if he just took away our sin, then we'd be kind of neutral, and we're not. Okay, We are saints and sinners. He takes away our sin, but then he makes us saints. He gives us his righteousness. Ron, what does Jesus mean when he says not even the smallest letter or even part of a letter will in any way pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled? I think that, you know, through his teaching and and his death and his resurrection, um, Jesus did accomplish um, everything that the law demanded, almost all, um, and fulfill all of the prophecies. But the law will not pass away until everything is accomplished and Christ returns. And when he returns, then all things will be fulfilled. So to me, the way that I read that, and 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 hopefully I'm, I'm capturing it correctly, but that there isn't a part of the law or a part of God's plan that is unimportant or that is not... Um, critical to fulfilling everything, because if you don't fulfill everything, then it's not complete. Yeah, with that, I just started an adult confirmation class with uh, parents of a baby I baptized a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, one of the things that we'll, we'll be talking about as we go through everything is, you know, do they agree with everything at the end of the class? And one of the things I'm going to be very cognizant of is, you don't have to understand everything. Uh, you know, we study the Trinity. And, they, and uh, the young lady said, I just don't get the Trinity. I said, all right, then you believe in the Trinity. You're right if you don't understand it. You, you can't get it. You can't get it. But the key is, uh, I think some pastors and teachers are wrong when they say, well, you have to believe everything exactly in order to become a member. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be more lenient, but just say, you know what? 
doesn't mean you're going to always get everything. We were only going every going through everything in 14 lessons over four months. You're not going to get everything. Jeremy and I have been pastors for a long time. We don't get everything. And I think we need to leave things open as we go through these classes with these young kids in 7th and 8th grade catechism class or high schoolers or adults. We're not going to get everything. But at least get them to the point of saying, all right, if I don't understand something or I disagree with something in Scripture— then I'm wrong, and Scripture's right. And that's what you were saying. Right. Well, and I think what you're describing is, then the way I would always put it with people that were taking instruction is, are you willing to be taught um, that they might they might have trouble with a particular point or two, but um, are are they open to keep the discussion going? And if they're not, if you know they're they're insisting that uh, you know. Be, Babies are—it's a sin to baptize babies, and they can't even—they um, can't even imagine conversing more about this or ever thinking anything differently. Well, then, then we would have to say, "You're not—we're uh, not in agreement, and we can't—we can't accept you into membership." But you're—you're you're talking more about if they're struggling or if they're feeling uh, unsure of something. Yeah, and as you're talking there, I'm reminded of. One of the adult confirmation classes I taught when I was at Faith in Radcliffe, Kentucky, and I, w- I knew this about the couple that was from Fort Knox, that they were heavily involved in scouting. And I wasn't going to bring it up until later on, because this is new in the class, and then someone else brought it up. And, and then uh, the guy, who was kind of a hothead, he was a, you know army guy, he just got up and stormed out, and his wife... I don't know. She didn't know what to do, so she obviously left with him. And then, you know, they were gone from church for several months. And uh, I, I went and visited them. Uh, he didn't want to visit with me, but I talked to her. She, I want to come back. He won't let me and so forth. Eventually, she just got to the point. She came back, brought the kids. He was stubborn. He eventually came back. We never brought it up, mm-hmm. but but they just kind of accepted. And then eventually, on their own, learning through scripture, they just eventually just dropped the scouts. I, I didn't want to bring it up. Other, I know, again, other pastors might have, and that's fine, but you know they were brand new, and I thought, let's just let the Holy Spirit work on them because this is something that they've been involved in their entire adult lives, and maybe even as kids. So, uh, Jeremy, usually people say amen at the end of a prayer. But Jesus used this Hebrew word at the beginning of a statement, which was, un- which was unique. Why should we pay special attention when Jesus says, Amen, I tell you? Well, I usually say amen. Yeah. But, uh, but we're at it, this church, so we say amen. <laughs> well, yeah, you just listen the next time you ask me to preach a sermon. Uh, so so the, the point that uh, Jesus is making is that th- what I'm about to say is always going to be true all the time. There were things that Jesus said. Um, he told Judas, "What you are about to do, go do quickly." Uh, he, he told uh, you know Peter and John to go get the the donkey for, or maybe I'm getting that wrong. He told his disciples to go and get the donkey for Palm Sunday. That doesn't mean every single time uh, Christians should be going out and getting a donkey, or that every single time uh, uh, that you know Jesus said, "Wash." one another's feet, that we should literally get down and wash one another's feet. Uh, there are things that he said that were uh, 
time constrained. And, and whenever he says amen at the beginning of it, he's saying, this is something that is always going to be true all the time. There's no constraints on it. Uh, this, is, this is a reliable statement that, that it will be useful in multiple situations and multiple circumstances. Yeah, I remember I learned this from you when we were going through this in our first, in our first couple of podcasts that first year of the amen of, you know, like this is important, everything Jesus says. But when he says amen, amen, that means this is really, really important. So pay attention. Listen up. Yeah. Yeah. Ron, what warning does Jesus offer to people who believe that they lead God-pleasing lives apart from Jesus? I think that we all have a, a big responsibility, not just to be the, the salt and the light, but how your witness and your life impacts those around you. Um, it's great to do nice things, um, but always keep watch on your motivation, I think. Um, are you doing it to bring glory and honor to yourself? Um, and, and also make sure that you're not also causing others to stumble and, and fall along the way, those people around you. Um, don't forget that we cannot fulfill all of God's commands on our own. So um, be sure that, that what we're doing is is for the right reason and for the right purpose, but also make sure that we understand that what we do influences and, and reflects on the people around us and that we're responsible for what that means to them as well. The last question I have for you guys is... Uh, talking about the Pharisees and their right behavior, do you guys think that there are times when we as Christians, uh, as members of a church, even as called workers, can fall into Phariseeism? You know, that we get more involved with civic righteousness than Christ's righteousness? And if so, how? And I wanted to ask you guys both about this and, and get your, your wisdom and your perspective on it, because I think this one can be tricky. Um because doing charity work and serving your neighbor and your community, um, those are good things. So does it come down to motivation or how do you, how do you balance that? When we chatted first off, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have done a lot of work for, um, you know, for the Racine area and not just, you know, Wells relay for life, relay for life and, and things like that. Just non church based, um, community things that are good things for that, that help people, um, and trying to be that, that salt and that light, um, that to me, I think that's a good thing. Um, and hopefully I'm doing it for the right reason, but how do we, ba- maybe how do we balance that, that superficial righteousness of the Pharisees versus the proper motivation of, of a God fearing Christian? I think that, uh, you bring up a good point when you talk about the salt and the light. Jesus wouldn't be saying in one paragraph, uh, let your light shine, but then in the next paragraph, now don't do any good deeds. <laughs> right. It, it, yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't really make sense. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of it does, as you said, pointed, or you, you pointed out, it comes down to the motivation, um, maybe, maybe also the fixation. What, what is your obsession? Is it is it hearing more about the righteousness that Christ has uh, bestowed upon us, or is it just constantly running around to to do more and more good deeds? Then, the, it not only is the motivation off, but the balance of your life is off too. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what's your response? So last Sunday, 
we had like around 10, 10 to 11 inches of snow in Racine. And so there weren't very many people in church, but we still had our, our youth Sunday up at our Caledonia campus that Jeremy preached for, and we had our teens singing and playing for and doing a breakfast. And afterwards, uh, after the service, one of the dads had told me that one of our sh- he passed by the home of one of our shut-ins who uh, didn't have her driveway shoveled or plowed out, and so he said, oh, "I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that that's that's taken care of." And so he had three of our teenagers, and I think one of them was your son, that he he sent a picture to me, and he said, "Yep, uh, they are voluntold, you know I said, that's that's good," and so. It's again. It's their attitude. Why are why are they doing this? Why are we doing it? It's like you said, Ron. It's our motivation. We we do want to have or be doing these good works. We do want people seeing them, seeing this light that we are salt in a rotten world. You know, light in the in the shadows. But it's always our motivation, and I think that's why Jesus follows the salt and light paragraph with this one of the Pharisees is looking back into our heart and is it i'm doing this to glorify god and that's the point that he says let your light shine so that people may see your works and glorify the father who is in heaven if you're doing it so that people glorify you or that you're glorifying yourself uh you know one of the thomas in the in the chosen today he says to matthew as they're preparing dinner uh, I forget what Matthew says, but Thomas says to him, now you're bragging about your humility. Hmm. Okay. And, you know, uh, that, that humble brag that we can do. Sure. Or look at how busy I am compared to other people. Uh, yeah. And I think that we, we can have that, that Phariseeism. And so we have to always be looking at ourselves and always looking and always evaluating our attitudes. Anything else you guys have on the gospel lesson? All right, so Jeremy, if you want to read the the second reading, the epistle lesson. 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people who are God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time you were not shown mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents in the world to abstain from the desires of the sinful flesh which war against your soul. Live an honorable life among the Gentiles so that even though they slander you as evildoers, when they observe your noble deeds, they may glorify God on the day he visits us. So there's some uh, more more talk about your your civic... Uh, uh, works of faith. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Ron, what is Peter teaching about Christians in verse 9? So when I was reviewing the text and studying, to me the first thing that jumped out, and I don't know if this is going to, to ring true to everybody, but to first say that we are chosen, that we are chosen, to me that qualifies all of the state, statements that come after it. We are chosen to be his people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation of believers set apart from all other nations. Um, the fact that we are chosen must mean that it's true. And um, that's not only a wonderful gift, but I think it's a big responsibility 
as well to be that salt and that light. Um, you have a job to do and you're chosen and, and you can't just sit back and, and do nothing or lose your saltiness. Um, that you have a, a, a set of responsibilities because you are these things. Yeah. So chosen people that, you know, that we initially belong to Satan, born sinful, and now we're chosen out of that. And God chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. So Jeremy, why is when Peter says royal priesthood, why, why don't those two words really go together? Because it's too much power for one human being to have. Um, it's it's um, the mi- mixing of church and state. Mm. Um, you have the royalty, that's the political power, and the priesthood, the, those are the people who have uh, authority over people's souls. You get to tell people that their conscience, you know, your conscience should be bothering you or your, your conscience should be clean. Um, and there's always this uh, encroachment of one over the other that the government is always wanting to uh, encroach on our, our consciences and tell us whether or not we're good, you know, we, we should have a clean conscience. Uh, and you, you can, I could l- rattle off all kinds of examples of that, but I'm not going to. Um, and then and then it's the church who is always wanting to, to grasp at more power over people's bodies. And that's what the government is supposed to be in charge of, the bodily needs of people. Um, you know, churches trying to uh, gain political influence or, uh, uh, you know, have caucuses or special interest groups, that kind of thing. And uh, and, and then the, the crazy thing is, with this verse here that Peter is writing, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you actually do get to be in charge of your soul and your body at the same time. You, you have been given this authority from God uh, over your life. And uh, that was, our, our will was enslaved. We didn't choose our way. This is not free will. This is not saying that we become believers by choosing or thinking our way to God. But once the Holy Spirit does enlighten us, uh, we get to be royal priests. Yeah, and with that too, what I was thinking of with royal priesthood is God kept those two separate. Like you said, church and state. You had priests and then you had royalty, except for Melchizedek. And then Jesus comes in, uh, you know, following uh, Melchizedek, we find out in Hebrews. But now we're like Melchizedek. We are royal priests. That means, uh, for all of our listeners, if you have a, you know, like a potluck or some kind of meal and the pastor's invite, you don't have to wait for the pastor to pray. You can pray because you're priests too. Uh, we're a holy nation. You know, our nations are not holy, and yet he calls us holy. And the people who are God's possession, uh, just like in Toy Story where Andy writes his name on, on Buzz and Woody, he writes his name on us. That's Revelation 14, uh, you know, that we are marked with the cross. And one of the things that I thought of, too, while you were reading this, too, Jeremy, is he doesn't say, Peter doesn't say you are a chosen person, you're a royal priest, you're a holy person again, you're a person who's God's possession. They're all plural. i throw this out to you guys. Why do you think it's so important that he makes it plural? So that we're not lone rangers, um, that God didn't just initiate a, a hermit a hermit club 
he uh, or uh, the church is not a bunch of people all being separate in different places. The church is people that are gathered together. It's it's people that have fellowship with one another as a group, and uh, that yeah that that's the plurals. Yeah, and that's that's what I was getting at is when I was talking to my eighth graders a couple of weeks ago, asking them if they wanted to be confirmed. One of them made the analogy, and I thought it was a good one. And he said, you know, it's kind of like if you're exercising, you're weightlifting or so forth. You usually need someone to hold you accountable. Uh, otherwise, you just, you're not going to do it. You're going to slough off. And that's a good reason why we're members of a church. Uh, we're we're not designed to be solitary people to read our Bibles and pray on our own and stay at home and watch worship online. Can we do that? Yeah. But that's not the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Uh, it's plural. We are meant to be together, uh, to be not one piece of salt, but be a lot of salt in the salt shaker. We're not one little light that the wind can easily blow out. We're a big roaring fire when we're all together. Ron, what does it mean that we've been called out of darkness? Well, before Christ, we were we were in the dark. Um, we could not see. You know, we were stumbling um, and falling and separated from God. Um, and I was wondering, does does this reinforce chosen? Um, in verse nine, um, in this verse, being called. I mean, do those complement to each other? I was kind of looking for for your guidance on that. That those two words kind of tie in. Certainly, it's the same idea. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're exactly right. Chosen and called. Yeah, yeah. That we don't. Again, we don't choose to become believers. We don't just walk out of the darkness because we're blind. Uh, by nature, and that's why you have so many false religions, is because everyone's looking for something to hold on to, uh, some kind of God, and so they just make something up. The only way out of the darkness of sin and unbelief and death is to hear God's voice. That's exactly right. And he doesn't just do the choosing in a private room all by himself, where, the, where nobody ever finds out about. It. It's not just in his head. As soon as he does the choosing, he also then verbalizes it and does the calling. Mm -hmm. right. So Jeremy, what does it mean that once we were not a people? Uh, we, we kind of do have this tendency, all humans do, of wanting to be independent or want, wanting to be rugged individualists uh, and, and break away from the pack. And it's uh, especially when you said rugged individualists, especially us as Americans. True. That's, that's yeah. just in our our DNA. Yeah. I, I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've got it covered. Yeah. But, yeah. and, and I, I, yeah, I can see it in myself too, where it's like, um, okay, I, I can see the end of the math problem that I'm supposed to get to, but I want to figure out my own way to get there. Or, uh, uh, a lot of times it was, it was even with spiritual things where I was like, okay, I know that's the right answer, but I kind of want to figure that out on my own. And uh, that's, that's me flying solo. Uh, that's not how God created us. He created us to be a people. Once we were individuals, we were not a people. Now we are a people. Yeah. And I was just working on Bible study with, you know, the people of Israel. 
you know, at one time they were not. It was just Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And they went into uh, Egypt as a family. But 400 years later, they came out of Egypt as a people. We are that people also called out of something, called out of that slavery of Egypt. Ron, what does it mean that once we were not shown mercy? When I was studying it, I thought that not only do we not belong to God, but we didn't receive mercy either. Without Christ, we would have received the full punishment for our sins. But through Christ, we've received mercy and full forgiveness. Um, I mean, without Christ, there is no mercy. And the ultimate mercy is our forgiveness and our salvation. And that's why we, we pray in our liturgy every Sunday, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And the last question I have, Jeremy, was what reasons does Peter give for us to live like salt and light, to tie it back into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? It's, do you want me to talk about his Sermon on the Mount or no, this reading? or This reading, but just tying the two together. Yeah. Uh, everything that he said in verse 9, that we're chosen, that we're royal priests, uh, that we're God's own possession, um, and, and then even, even little hints of it in uh, verses 11 and 12, when Peter says things like, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents in the world, uh, there's, even, there's even a little hint behind that of uh, you have an eternal home in heaven, um, and that's a, good, that's a good reason to live like a salt and life here on this earth. Um, uh, the, 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 yeah, just, um, yeah, yeah, I and, think that pretty well covers yeah, it. Yeah, and then to pick up on that, that we are not like the pagans in this world uh, who hold on to everything in this world because that's all they have. Whereas we are foreigners and aliens, temporary residents, uh, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home, we like to sing. Uh, and we live in such a way that uh, others can see it and then give glory to God in our lives. Uh, you know, He says, when they observe your noble deeds, they may glorify God on the day he visits us, which is uh, very similar to what Jesus said. Uh, Let your light shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And I think it's good, too, just to know, because I think sometimes we forget this, that Peter is writing this, what do you think, Jeremy, like 40, 40 or 50 years after Jesus would have preached this sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount? So something like that. And But to, to know, he was there, sitting there with the rest of the crowd, listening to Jesus. Now it's been working on his heart all this time, and now he's... You know, he's been putting that into his sermons, and now the Holy Spirit is putting that into his pen to write this to us and just to know that they're connected that way. And verse 12 really jumped out at me, but live an honorable life among the Gentiles so that even though they slander you as evildoers. Um, so even if people ignore you or slander you or, you know, persecute you for doing good works, people will notice if you're living a godly life um, and doing good works to God's glory. So God is coming again, and we want everybody to glorify him on that day along uh, with us. So um, I just thought that was the a great way to kind of reinforce why we're doing this, because um, those are all good things to do, but we want everybody um, to acknowledge and, and celebrate when, when he comes again. All right, anything else you guys have on either of these lessons? All right. 
So this is Michael Zarling with Ron Bailey and hide your lightning under a bushel? No. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.